Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, and I am Divorced Not Dead. Fresh off the back of my divorce, I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said. Why do we put so much pressure on ourselves for the happily ever after? Does our love story really have to be one great lengthy novel, or can we be happy with a book of short but exciting love stories? I guess we'll find out on Divorced Not Dead. And lucky me, you'll be joining me for the journey, so buckle up. Welcome to Real Pod. It's your host, Victoria Garrick, and this is the podcast where we hold nothing back. Oh, so we're getting deep, huh? I really cried for 12 days straight. Why do I want to be perfect? There's nothing in my life that is perfect. Every week, I'll bring you honest, unfiltered, and eye-opening conversations to help uncover the real in all of us. I crave the type of content that you're talking about. I actually felt insecure. Oh my God, am I going to cry? Let me just unload everything. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes every Wednesday. Leave those filters at the door because it's time to get real. Finding our purpose in life can seem very scary and overwhelming. I feel like no matter what you are doing or how successful you are, or maybe even sometimes how sure of like your plan you might be, all of us kind of hit these roadblocks where we start to question things and we get confused. And if that's you or has been you, Today's episode is really a comforting conversation that will reveal ways that you can connect to purpose in your life no matter what. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with what our incredible guest today has to share about this big topic and these big questions that we have in life. Our guest is very special. Her name is Alexis Jones. She is an internationally recognized speaker. Okay, she's delivered a TED Talk that has over a million views. She has spoken in locker rooms across the country. She's a media personality. Fun fact, she was on Survivor. She is an activist. She won the 2018 Jefferson Award, which is our country's highest national honor for public service, alongside others such as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Steve Jobs, and Oprah. Oprah actually featured Alexis as one of her hashtag Super Soul 100. 
And Alexis is also an author. She wrote the book, I Am That Girl. Alexis and I got in touch a few years ago because I was getting into public speaking and she went to USC. So there was a mutual connection who said, I know this amazing public speaker. She's phenomenal. And maybe she can hop on a call with you and, you know, give you some words of wisdom. And she definitely did that. And I have, you know, admired her ever since. And it's really awesome that she was willing to come on the show and share some of what she's learned throughout what really is an incredible career so that hopefully things will be a little bit more clear for all of us as we navigate our paths. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to Brenda. What's up, my homie? I see you watching those high cue videos. Brenda said, I found RealPod to be extremely useful and relatable as a woman in her mid, almost upper 20s. I struggle with mental health, poor fitness habits. I also plan on becoming a parent soon, God willing. Oh my gosh, Brenda, my fingers, legs, and everything is crossed for you. And I feel like RealPod is just a breath of fresh air. There's no BS and it makes me feel better knowing that I'm not alone in my struggles. Oh my God, wait, this is my favorite line. Brenda said, listening to RealPod gives me the reassurance that it's okay to be sad and also okay to look at the bright side. Oh, Brenda, that is honestly so kind. That sentence right there literally sums up what I want people to take away from the show. That no matter what you're feeling, there is a place for you every Wednesday when you tune in. So thank you so much for taking the time to leave me this review. I appreciate each and every one of you who constantly supports the show, comes back and listens, subscribes. It truly means the world. If you leave me a review, you just may be the shout out on next week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe. Brand new episodes every Wednesday. And without further ado, let's get started with the one and only Alexis Jones. Alexis, I'm literally so excited. I'm like jumping out of my chair. <laughs> Thank you for coming on RealPod. Of course. Well, we've actually never spoken and been able to like see each other's faces because I've met you through friends who connected us so that you could give me advice. Like I remember back in 2020 when I was starting to public speak and I was just like blown away by all of your advice and your calm and collected nature of just knowing you're a badass. And I was like, wow, I just want to be like her. Honestly, that is the sweetest thing ever. And the crazy thing is it's so mutual from the minute I met you. I felt like it was, it was such a symbiotic relationship. Like I, I felt like I had as much to learn from you and any advice that you ever gave me. Like anytime you post things online, I'm like, that is exactly what I <laughs> needed to hear today. So I always feel like you're just speaking directly to me. Oh my gosh. I, once again, like I feel the same and I was even I read every caption you write because you're just a brilliant writer. And I feel like you're always thinking about the bigger meaning of things and how we can get more connected. And I want to talk about all of that because it seems like you are doing what everyone wants to do, right? Just to like pick up and go to not the middle of nowhere, because obviously Bozeman's beautiful. And I, I've spoke once at in Montana. So I know it's great in the air and everything, but to leave like the city life where quote unquote things are happening and stuff's going on and social media is this huge animal. Like when I see you come across my feet, I'm just, I get envious. I'm like, that seems like the sweet life. It's pretty sweet. And I mean, it's interesting because it was really born out of heartbreak and right before COVID which is funny because I'm actually, I'm working on a new book and I'm like three weeks away from being done. 
And I've never been so excited to be done with anything in my whole life. And the book is really chronicling this journey, which is really early on in COVID. We had been trying to get pregnant for a long time. I don't know if you know this. And we actually ended up doing IVF and we ended up getting pregnant and then we ended up losing the pregnancy. And it was just like one of the greatest heartbreaks of my entire life. And at at the time, my husband and I were, you know, it had just started shelter in place and lockdown. And so we were kind of like, wait, grieving already, you know, like anguish is already something that is meant to be shared with the people in our lives. And it was something that like, we couldn't even be in physical contact with other people. And our best friend was going through a heartbreak of his own. So it was kind of this like last minute, let's all jump in an RV. And I'm saying like early COVID, like nobody was on the road. We didn't even know if we could get out of state lines legally, much less what we would end up doing like a month long trip over seven different states. But at the time it was just really this like, we just knew we didn't want to be where we were. And so one of the pit stops was Bozeman, Montana, because I had two really good girlfriends here. And, you know, we'd all kind of thrown out like, let's go to Santa Fe and let's go to Bozeman. Let's go to Jackson, Wyoming. We just kind of thrown out this like very like harebrained idea, again, not even knowing if we were going to like be let out of Texas state lines. So we stumbled upon Montana. And like you, I'd been, I'd been to Montana State and Mizzou and spoken in both of their locker rooms. And but it was always during winter. So it was always like so cold. And I'm such a pansy. I was like the Texas girl who spent a decade in California. And I was always like, oh, I could never, you know, live here. This is crazy full time. So we came during the summer and like everyone else, it was just the most beautiful place we had ever seen. And so again, what kind of started us on this, on this heartbreak trip, before we even returned back on our RV trip, I looked at my husband and I said, why don't we get an Airbnb and like move to Bozeman, like just for a month. Cause you know, we we're working from home anywhere. So if it doesn't matter and he agreed and then one month turned into 11 months and then our Airbnb host kicked us out. It was like, you need to find like an actual house. And then we rented a house here like a year ago. So we've been here almost two years, but it was very unintentional. But to your point, yes, it is one of the things that nine out of 10 people who we run into are like, how did you do that? How did you just like pick up and like, move to another state where you just like get to hike in the mountains and live kind of this dreamy life. And I say, it's interesting. It was actually born out of heartbreak, but I think some of the best things are. Now I only know you over the past two years. So I'm not familiar with like, I don't want to say young Alexis, cause you're still young, hot, you got it going on. But when you were, you know, in high school or college, I'm going to make the assumption that you didn't imagine that you would be kind of where you are doing what you are now, right? Hiking and and more laid back. So when you were in your young twenties, like what was the vision you had for yourself? Like, what did you think your purpose was and what were you doing to try to get there? I mean, growing up, I was incredibly anxious. I was a total perfectionist. I would arguably say like insatiably hungry. And I had grown up basically a poor kid in a really wealthy neighborhood. And I think that I had a big chip on my shoulder of like, I'm going to go and accomplish all these things and really lived for external validation. So I think I was chasing all the worldly things. I think I was chasing the success and the public accolades and things that were very like tangible and outside of myself and like accruing these like shiny things that I could like attach to myself to be like, see, and I won this award and I won this award. And so I think I was like checking all the boxes of all the things I'd ever thought people assumed or expected of me. And I would say that is probably the greatest shift in who I am now was figuring out that like that version of me that like never, ever felt good enough 
and was always chasing and striving, improving and impressing. She didn't have to do that anymore. And I think that was just a natural, maybe evolution of maturation, but also what I was doing wasn't working and, and no amount of success and no amount of awards and no amount of mountains that I was literally and figuratively climbing gave me a different feeling internally. And I think when you say like, oh, when I read your posts and I see things you're talking about, kind of the, the bigger things, I think that was my realization was I had actually summited a lot of those mountains. And from the very tip top thinking that they were going to, again, make me feel differently on the inside. And I just kept getting to another summit being equally let down that kind of this, like, aren't we supposed to be happy? Like if we're really successful and we make a lot of money and, you know, we're checking all these boxes, like, aren't we supposed to be happy? And I just kept coming to the conclusion, like it wasn't there. It wasn't there. It wasn't there. And I kept seeking all the things that weren't giving me the thing that I really wanted, which was like fundamentally feeling a sense of radical enoughness. And I just didn't know where to find it at the time. Radical enoughness. I love those words together. And I relate to this desire to achieve and we all get there for different reasons. But I was talking to someone recently because I used to sense myself you years ago in high school, especially maybe early college, always feeling the need to compete in even in like a conversation like, oh, you're doing that. That's awesome. And I'm doing this thing, too. And like feeling like you always have to be in that arena of like, what are you adding to your resume? What are you doing? And I've recently realized that you know, I used to thought quote unquote winning was who could keep going and like have more that they've done. But now it's like, oh wait, oh wait, the real winner is the person that just can sit back, nod and say, that's awesome. Yeah. And and not feel the need to prove anything to anyone. That to me, like you just summarized what I've been referring to as like radical enoughness was like just a contentment, like just in a like genuinely happy and joyful for other people's wins. And also realizing that like my one-upping or, you know, you talking about this idea of competition and or not even competition, just like, I want you to know that I can hang, right? Like, oh, you've done that. That's amazing. Oh, like I just finished doing X, Y, and Z. And so it's like, we're we're like, we're the same, you know? Yeah. It's not even like a malicious, like I want to be better than you, but just, Hey, I'm also cool. Like you, you know? (laughs) Exactly. And I think that for me, all of that, like collecting all of those accomplishments and collecting all these like interesting things that I had done was inevitably because I didn't feel special enough inherently. And I think the idea of feeling special inherently and worthy inherently and seen and feeling like I belong, I was reaching for all of those things somewhere outside of me. And now to your point, the idea that I can sit down and I can also share, right? The things that do make me badass, right? Like the things that I am working on, the things that I am proud of, the projects that inspire me, it comes from such a different place now. It comes from a place of like authentically wanting to share the things that light me up, not because I need to impress or people please. Like I, that was like a lethal combination for me. I feel like society's definition of success, you know, plays a huge role in this, right? Because when you're in conversation, you know, especially growing up as like young kids, when you show up to family Christmas or Thanksgiving, you know, no one's patting you on the back for self-care or like patting you on the back for making a new friend or doing something that was hard for you in school. They want to know like, what was your tangible grade on the paper? What 
did your team like go to the championship? And I think really thinking about like how we define success for ourselves can be huge in helping guide us towards, you know, a better way of living. Absolutely. It's funny you say that. My uncle who actually passed during COVID and one of the things that he would very unintentionally do because he was just always so excited to be celebrating the things that I was working on. But as soon as I would walk in for Thanksgiving or whatever the holiday was, and he would say in front of everyone, in front of like 30, 40 people, he'd be like, what is our Wonder Woman doing now? You know, and then like, I immediately felt like, oh, well, I just gave this TED talk and, and I just worked on a documentary and I'm doing a global speaking tour. And like, I just felt the need to perform and to meet those expectations to a degree where like, I actually started giving all of the Wonder Woman paraphernalia that I have because it just became kind of synonymous that people would like send me thank you cards and gifts. And so I just accrued like an entire closet of Wonder Woman stuff. And it dawned on me that I think there's this complex that's really easy to, like this proverbial cape that we feel like we have to wear. And then there's this distinction of when we feel like we're wearing it and when we take it off, right? And it feels like this duality of like two versions of ourselves. And we're always trying to keep up with like the Wonder Woman wearing cape version of ourselves. And at a certain point to your exact point, now the things I'm proud of is I'm like, man, when everyone else is like talking about like, and I did this and I did this. And I'm like, man, I took a two hour nap in the middle of the day today. (laughs) There is like the faces of people of like, what is that an option? And I just started like doing this incredible like self-care where I just became really shameless about it because I was someone who defined myself by my exhaustion for so long in the martyrdom in the endurance athlete of activism that I've been my entire life. And I was defined by that exhaustion. And at a certain point, I was like, yo, I think we didn't get the right memo here, you know, because like you said, what's more radical than taking on an unexamined cultural script and saying, I'm going to define myself by martyrdom and exhaustion and like playing the game and keeping up with the Joneses And that's, I think, why I refer to it as like radical enoughness, because in a society that's telling us we're never, ever going to be good enough, have enough, do enough, be enough. You know how crazy and defiant it is to say, I'm actually going to choose to love myself and take really good care of myself. And those are the things I'm going to brag about. Like, I feel like that's the stuff that's rebellious AF. I am so glad that this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp because when you talk about these big, big topics in life, meaning, purpose, how you're really feeling, it can be overwhelming. And when I feel overwhelmed and stressed or there is a lot on my mind, I love talking to a therapist. I go once a week. I have for many months now. I did for years. I took a little break and now I'm back. It's important to think about how you take care of your mind because how we care for our minds affects how we experience life. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat therapy sessions. So you don't even have to see anyone on camera. If you don't want, turn that camera off. Don't worry about it. You don't have to leave the comfort of your home. So you don't have to sit in traffic. You can, it's really convenient. Also, it's much more affordable than in-person therapy. So there are two big box checks. And thirdly, you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. We all know the struggle of having to like find a therapist and get recs and try to make sure like, are they close to me? What do they cost? All those details. And then it can like be weeks before you talk to someone and like you wanted to talk to them when you were having the problem, right? I relate to that. 
at betterhelp.com slash realpod. You can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours and get 10% off your first month. So RealPod listeners, don't miss out on this. Head to betterhelp.com slash realpod. That's better, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash RealPod today to get 10% off your first month. Now, do you feel like people need success or to have had the experience of achievement to then have permission to kind of turn it off? Like obviously from experience, you know, when you climb to the top of the mountain and you realize, oh, I still have all this baggage or I still have these problems. That's a huge eye opener in itself. But I was posting about something similar recently. And, you know, someone messaged me like, this is great and all, but I usually hear this from really successful people. So what about people who haven't achieved all this success or they don't have all these amazing things? Like, how do they then feel radical enoughness? Yeah. I think at the end of the day, like we're never going to give a formula. And I think anyone like you is a really public platform. Your story isn't going to resonate. Like your experience isn't going to resonate with every single person. And I actually don't think as people who are passionate about sharing messages with people in general, I've gotten to a place where like, I'm okay that you're not going to be on the same journey that I'm on. And all you and I can do and anyone who's like brave enough to offer their story and offer their insights and offer their opinions and offer their words to then be criticized and judged and like for people to have opinions on and feel entitled to communicating their opinions to us. And that's by the way, what we're signing up for. Right. And we know that, but at the end of the day, I really let go of the expectation that like, I'm prescribing any kind of formula for anyone else to follow, like according to how I arrived here, you know? And I just think at the end of the day that sure, a lot of successful people get to the top of the summit and realize that it's not always chalked up to be, you know, it's why you have Tom Brady, like not knowing he was still mic'd up at the, after winning his fourth, you know, Super Bowl, say like, man, is this, there's gotta be more to life than this. Right. And it's like any guy who's looking at Tom Brady, who's like, you're kidding me. You're like married to the hottest woman in the world. You like win Super Bowl after Super Bowl. You're uncomfortably attractive, like all of these things. And I think that while, yes, on the other side of experiential knowledge, right, of being at the summit and being like, yo, life isn't just about climbing mountains. Yes, I think it's easy and I can speak only for myself and say like, that is how I got to a place where I found out that the only way I was moving forward through this life with any kind of authentic joy was going to be through giving myself permission. And I wish that we did live in a society that took more time giving people permission to be who they really are. And at the same time, it's kind of like, well, but we don't live in that society. So how people are going to find that for themselves is going to be their awesome, unique journey. And whether that's them summiting their own mountains or simply offering themselves the permission that only they can give themselves. I think these kinds of conversations can hopefully inspire Mm -hmm. that introspection necessary for it. Well, first of all, I feel like I needed to hear that first part about how I think it's a hard truth for me to say to myself, I'm not going to be relatable for everyone because I think I do have this desire to help everyone and for everyone to see whether it's themselves in any part of my story or that they can find value in it. And so it is hard for me to be like, okay, well, how do I, I think this has been my struggle recently. It's like, how do I do this thing and make sure that no matter who you are in the world, it could apply. 
Like I literally put that pressure on myself all the time and it's, it's insane. And so I think it is true. Like I might not be, I might not be able to serve everyone, you know? And then this leads to the greater question and theme about meaning and purpose, you know? So how did you find purpose in life and what you were meant to do? I think that also plays into this idea of radical enoughness is having clarity on what you're here for. And that is scary to think about. And a lot of people don't feel like they know what that is for themselves. Yeah. First off, I just want to say that like, especially when I first started out very similarly, like every speech I gave, whether it was for like five people or 5,000 people, I was like, I want this to resonate with everyone. I want to anticipate all my blind spots so that, you know, whatever I say is like inspiring and like doesn't piss anyone off and like all the things. And then what dawned on me, which was a huge shift for me was getting to a place of humility of truly believing. And this is like where my faith kicks in that like, no matter what that I like preach for the one. And so I would go into a room, whether it was five or whether it was 5,000, whether it was 50,000, like going into any environment and saying like, I believe that this conversation is meant for one human being who's supposed to hear it. Like this podcast, I pray that there's one human out there who hears this and was like, that was literally, that entire conversation was meant for me. And one, it takes all the pressure off of me. Like thinking that like my very, think how unbelievably unique each of our circumstances, like our life circumstances are so unique to us. And the idea that my very unique circumstances are going to relate with everyone is just kind of ridiculous. I was thinking ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was trying to find a euphemism, but I'm like, no, it's just ridiculous, you know? And so letting go of that pressure, but then it also just like reframed and gave me a level of humility of like, I only ever need to show up because I think one person's life has the opportunity to be profoundly changed by my simply sharing my story and telling the truth about it, of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think when it comes to purpose, and of course there's an irony, and I I love being an author because you're actually able to like look back at your books and you're like, "Eh, I don't know if I agree with all of that anymore. Like, again, it's like, it's very humbling to like read certain things and be like, man, I have a really different belief system than even, you know, my last book. And, and I'm that girl. And the whole thing was about like defining your purpose and speaking your truth. And, and I think I, for years gave talks about passion and purpose. And I think that I was very clear about my mission at the time, which was, you know, I was running an organization that had over a million girls involved and we were changing the world. And, and I think another thing, maybe just through like life experience and the gift of getting like really like a massive gut punch. And I think until we have like a tsunami meets an earthquake meets the worst hurricane of our lives that like turns our life upside down, that we don't have necessarily the incentive to go internally, to go like, to be really introspective. And I think for me, the idea of passion and purpose was really ashamed to admit this for a long time, because I feel like I've written the book on it. Right. And there's something that's even like, makes you feel even more fraudulent when you're like, not am I only the like empowerment girl, but I'm like the chick who talks about like passion and purpose and like gives lectures on it, you know? And then all of a sudden I found myself in this really lost space where like, I didn't know what I was doing in my life. And I think the pressure that we put on ourselves to know our passion and our purpose in every iteration in every chapter of our life, as opposed to recognizing there's a beautiful oscillation that happens of it kind of coming and going of this, like 
elasticity around times where you feel really clear about what you're doing. And then, you know, that whole idea of like going in a cocoon and hopefully if we stay interesting enough, then we get to evolve and change. But I think in every one of those evolutions and changes, it requires going in like the darkness of the cocoon. And when we're in that, I feel like when I went into that space, I really shamed and judged myself and was like terrified that like, I didn't feel like I knew what that was for me. And so now I try to tell people like, don't put so much pressure on yourself to like know what your passion is or know what your purpose is in life. Because I think the same thing that we're chasing is also chasing us. What it's making me think about is just the idea of what could happen and like opportunity. And I feel like something that keeps me grounded when those types of questions can be scary is well, like what could happen today? Like anything could happen. Like you don't know who you're going to meet. My mentor from USC, Nicole Davis would say like, you could change the trajectory of someone's life today. I mean, at the time I was just a college student on the volleyball team. And it was just this idea of like your attitude and how you show up in the world. Like it could change the trajectory of someone's life, a smile, a conversation. And so I think there's so much truth to what you said, Alexis. Like we want to have this idea that I was put on this earth to raise dogs and have a dog farm. And like, you know, we want to know exactly what we're doing so that it makes sense for us. But I think there's so much beauty in embracing what it means to be human, which is to fail and is to not know and is to mess up. And I feel like I'm the most inspired by people who are themselves. Mm-hmm. I am inspired by, even if someone is, when someone walks into a room and doesn't just give off the vibe of trying to people, please, I'm so inspired. I'm so inspired because I feel like I walk into rooms like, hi, yeah, I'm great. How are, how are you guys doing? Everything good, good, good. So when my friend Cubby's sister, Anna, she's just very chill. She walk into any room. She's like, hi, like, you know, she's always herself. And no, she's not like posting inspirational quotes. She doesn't have a social media following, but I'm always inspired by Anna's ability to just like freaking be herself and not care what people think. And so I almost think on a small level, if we can just show up in the world and like say what we feel and be who we really are, that can change the world, you know? I think it profoundly changes the world. And I think Mother Teresa understood that when she was like, you really want to change the world? Go home and love your family. Like it was just like such a simple prescription. I think- Just the idea that I spent so much time in my life thinking I had to like change the world in these like huge, magnificent, I don't know, like empire building ways. And instead, I feel like I, especially over these past three years, it's really just been like getting a PhD in self-love, you know, because I think when we are able to give ourselves permission to love ourselves, when we are able to give permission to be authentically who we are, like you said, that energy when you walk into a room, profoundly changes how other people feel, not just about you, but how they feel about themselves. And I think the idea that we can't become what we haven't seen. And it took me meeting a really good friend who actually lived in Bozeman. When we came here, we ran into him, we went to high school with him. And he was just like this kind of good old boy kid that was like going to inherit like a huge car dealership in Austin. Like his life was like set in Austin. And he woke up one day and realized like he wasn't passionate about what he was doing and he didn't want to do that. And he quit, went on a road trip with his wife and his like brand new baby, which just seemed absurd to everyone. And then pit stopped in Bozeman on 4th of July weekend, thought it was the most beautiful place he'd ever seen and like set up a life. And so we hadn't seen or talked to him since high school. And after leaving his dinner, he felt to your point about your friend, 
so alive, so like genuinely alive and happy about life and like wasn't doing anything world changing, extraordinary in any capacity, but was like just living this again, like unbelievably rebellious life that just said, I want to put myself proximate to the things that bring me joy. And it was that simple. And my husband and I walked out, we like looked at each other. We're like, bro, did you think Curtis Howard was going to be this like rebel of love and joy and like happiness? And then we got in the car and the first thing I said, I was like, yo, I can, can we do that? Like, is that an option for us? And so I look back at like Curtis gave himself permission to live a life that wasn't ordinary. And by not being ordinary, it just meant that it was so radically authentically him. And in him doing that, he unintentionally gave Brad and I permission to do the same thing. Yeah. And so now when I think about like changing the world, you know, I'm like, that's why I kind of giggle about like a lot of my old writings and books and like inspirational posts is now I'm like, dude, the most like powerful rebellious, defiant, miraculous, awesome thing that anyone can do is just be themselves. And it sounds so cliche, but it's like, it's because it's so hard. It is really hard. It's like telling us all the ways we need to do and be and act and say, you know? And so it's like, we, we are given this list, this infinite list of like to do's that we think we're supposed to do and accomplish and be and all the things. And so that's what makes it even that much more I think impactful and rare is when you just find someone who's like, yeah, I nap for two hours today. And people are like, what? Right. Right? That's when comments like that are like, wait, we're not allowed to like nap and take care of ourselves. And you're like, yeah, man, like, I don't know if you know me, but I love, I love day naps. Exactly. And two, just not caring so much what other people are going to think or say, you know, it's like that Hey, I'm just showing up. Like, I mean, Curtis, does he did what did he seem really connected to the present moment into life? I mean, the most like connected present person. Like I was just sitting there being like, how wh- Right. It's you- like you're thinking about all this stuff and he's all in the things. present moment. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, how did you become this confident in like your life and your choices? And I I remember being like, did people think you were crazy? Like you walked away from like a huge dealership, like all the things that the world says matters, like lots of money, security, prestige. You walked away from all of that to like move to a small mountain town where you didn't know anyone. What did people think? And I think that's another thing we don't really talk enough about is in these like brave displays of authentically choosing ourselves. And Brad and I really found this. uh, When we decided to move to Bozeman, we were shocked at some of the people who were closest to us and that we loved the most who had like the most intense negative opinions of us moving. And it was all fear-based. It was like, wait, but Brad, you're a hometown kid who's in commercial real estate. How are you going to make any money in Bozeman? And Brad was like, well, I'm going to keep working in Austin. Like I'm going to go back and forth. And they're like, but y'all don't know anyone in Austin. Like if y'all have kids, who's going to help you with your kid? Like just all of this, like unwarranted, unsolicited opinions about what we were doing, claiming that it was out of love. And the truth is it wasn't out of love. It was out of fear. But I think that Brad and I were like really shocked and actually like really heartbroken by some of the some of the things that were said to us and even just some of like, cause it is our hometown, even some of like the gossip that started, we ended up finding out there were like rumors 
about like me having an affair in Montana, like just what? things that really painful. And I don't share that to be salacious. I share that because when you step outside of the expectations of like normal and like, and again, when you say like, oh, I look at your life and like, I'm envious. And it's like, well, I think sometimes that rather than like being inspired by that and it being aspirational, that it like really triggers for other people why they aren't being that brave in their own life. When you mentioned your friends, I was the first word I thought was projection. Like the fact yeah. that they know they could never do it. So then they're projecting to you all the reasons they tell themselves that they couldn't do something like that. I love my life. I love everything I get to do. But I think I definitely, I wish I had the courage to try to step outside my comfort zone of life. I feel like I do step outside my comfort zone in a variety of ways within my life, but it's wild to think. And I don't love the thought that Max and I could blink and be 50 with kids and we've never lived outside of this state. Like I have it my entire life, you know? So totally feeling the juices flowing through my body, right? I'm inspired by this, like being yourself and living authentically and finding joy. What do you think the recipe is to figure that out? Like how could someone nodding along, Mm. what are the next steps to get more connected or to figure this out? Yeah. I think the first one is in the velocity by which most of us are, are operating. I think the first step is literally slowing down and giving yourself space to feel all the feels, like what's coming up, like, what are you missing? What are you wishing there was more of? And so I think first and foremost is like, we just have to find time every day, even if it's for five minutes to just sit down and like still our life. And then when we're willing to like feel the feelings and have some introspection. And for me, like journaling is a huge piece of that. I love meditating. And my husband, Brad is like not a meditator. So he needs more like physical stuff. So he, And I do a lot of yoga because that can be like a physical meditation. But a huge thing for me is writing in my journal. And I'll straight up like ask myself a question, like, how are you feeling today? And then I have to respond. So I'm like actually in dialogue with myself. Like, what are you feeling? It's always like the first thing, right? Because a lot of times it's like underneath the surface. We don't even really know what we're feeling. So I think that idea of slowing down is the first thing. I think in addition to that, we have to be really persnickety with who we choose to surround ourselves with. And are those people also saying, we want to rebelliously, critically look at the cultural scripts that are being handed to us. And we want to be creative enough and intentional enough to come up with our own definitions of success and wealth and to to live in a community where vulnerability is rewarded and expected. And so I think that idea of like, who is in your tribe? is such an important question. It's, it's been such a game changer for me, I feel like. And in addition, it's connecting the head and heart. I think that's another big piece. So it's like slowing down. It's surrounding yourself with badass people who are in alignment with you. It's connecting your head and heart, which I think is a big part of that slowing down because I think our, our head tells us what the world wants and our heart tells us what's true. And I think we need both, right? We can't live only in one And then I think in addition to that, it's giving ourselves permission, that whole idea of like, how do we give ourselves permission to do the things that we want to do, to say the things that are honest and true and to be who it is we want to be. And then the last one is, I think we just have to like stay wild. I think we have to honor the piece of us that is like the childlike wonder inside of us who like craves spontaneity and, and fun and exhilaration and 
the wanderlust that doesn't necessitate like getting on a plane and traveling all over the world necessarily, but the part of us that seeks adventure and novelty. So those are some things off the top of my head. Holy shit. I feel like you just gave us the, all the answers. I thought I was giving you like a pretty hard question. And then you just listed off like so many things that I mean, I'm taking notes. Okay. So now I want to dissect a few of them. First of all, slowing down. I, this morning forced myself to sit on my balcony for five minutes, no phone, no nothing. I'm not even at a place where I can close my eyes and try to meditate. We're not there yet, but forcing myself to listen to the birds, hear my own thoughts, like just even that five minutes slowed everything down. It's like, you've got nowhere to be. No one needs you. You've got nothing to respond to. Like you can take five and it's so powerful to slow down in a world that's constantly, constantly spinning and constantly like receiving text messages and you haven't called people back and there's always things to do. And no matter how many times you deep clean your apartment or you check off your to-do list, you always feel like there's more to do, right? And yeah. then I, I love that this deep dive into your tribe. And I've recently been thinking about this more because throughout our lives, we collect a lot of relationships and a lot of friends And you don't often sit back and think, okay, are these relationships still serving me? Right. It's like, you've carried them for so long because you think you had to. And the irony in that is when we're growing up, oh, the cool kids, they have all the friends. They have so many friends, so many people to call, so many people at their birthday party. And then as you get older, you you kind of realize like, I don't want any new friends. Like my mom, when she moved to Southern California, I was like, mom, do you want me to introduce you to like my nutritionist from USC? She's like, no. She's like, I don't want friends. I like that. I know no one here. I don't want to know anyone. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. That idea of just like a handful of like ride or dies. That's like all I want, all I need now. Like definitely quality over quantity. I agree. I do think I have to push myself to have a happy medium of being open to new relationships. That was something I struggled with for a while was I was so hardcore on my ride or dies that I wasn't even open to like friendships from the standpoint of not feeling like people were good enough. But then I also felt lonely because I didn't have as many friends as I wanted. And now I'm much better. Like I'm not always going to label things. I'm not going to take everything personally. I think that also is in part with being really content with what you bring to the table and who you are is like, you can have these awesome relationships with people and feel at ease and not like you need to put on a performance of all of these friends, you know? Yeah. Brene Brown does a really interesting distinction in Atlas of the Heart, which is one of my favorite books that she's written yet, the distinction between fitting in and belonging. And it was such a profound nuance for me. But the fitting in is like the people pleasing and like the wanting to be liked and the belonging is like, you get to be exactly who you are and people want you around. And I look back at my life at a period where I was definitely seeking like people pleasing, fitting in versus like the thing that's really nourishing, which is like being in a group in a room full of people that like genuinely want me exactly as I am, like beauty and warts and all, like they they want me there, you know? And I just feel like that was such a beautiful distinction. And now that's the only lens I have by which I look at friends. Like, am I trying to fit in? Like, is this someone I like really feel like I can be fully me or am I like trying to like wear the cute dress and do the right things and like want her to like me? And those I have far less, if any of those relationships anymore. And like you said, I think that there's, again, just a part of like the maturation is realizing that at any moment we have 
the power to edit, to lovingly edit without any dramatic conversations necessary, but to lovingly edit the, the relationships that both serve us and that we feel like we're serving them. To lovingly edit. Alexis, where do you get all of these amazing like isms? The way that you describe these things, they're so perfect. I, I love that. To lovingly edit your life. And I'm such a Brene Brown fan. When you said, am I fitting in or am I belonging? I mean, I went to the women's basketball final four and it was super exciting. I went for work, but I kind of was thinking to myself, I don't think I ever felt like I belonged in any of the sports communities I was in. I love competing. I loved being an athlete. I never felt like on any of the teams I was a part of, even when I went to these events with these very cool athletes, like, and, and honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with me. You know, I think a lot of imposter syndrome comes up for me. I think a lot of, am I a part of the cool clan? Am I going to, do they think I'm good enough to be on the team? You know? So it's not necessarily anyone else's fault, but that was an environment for me where I really did struggle to belong. Mm -hmm. I totally feel that. I mean, I think that, and you said it so well, like even projecting our own and again, not, I'm such a Brene fan personally and professionally. And another thing that she talks about is just that idea that it's ironic, but the data shows that the more that we attempt to people please and fit in, ironically, the more we actually feel rejection. And it's because, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing this now, but it's like the stench of inauthenticity is smelled from so far away. Right. So like when we aren't being authentically ourselves, it's like people push us away because they're like, I don't know what that like. I can't really place a finger like I don't know. I can't make out what that is. And like we tend to like push away things that we don't understand. And that was another thing that I realized that like in all my people pleasing, it was like I found that I was like getting rejected by people that I didn't even necessarily like want to be around. But then I internalized that is like, oh, man, like, they, you know, I didn't get invited to that party or whatever it is. And so I think there's something really profound about having the awareness to recognize that oftentimes our not belonging is actually a projection of our probably unconsciously not even necessarily wanting to be there. I completely agree. And I'm thinking of recent times where, you know, I so badly wanted to get invited to something and it's like, why am I trying so hard to be somewhere I'm not even wanted? You know, like that doesn't feel good for anyone. That is like the question of the hour. I mean, I, this is like the fourth time I've had this conversation in the past week where I had a woman confess to me that she was like, and then I didn't even get invited to this dinner party. And I was like stressing about it. And I was like telling my husband about it. And then he looked at me and was like, babe, you don't even like her. And she was like, <laughs> right. And I'm like, why do we like, it's like, but I want her to like me. Totally. I don't care if I don't like her. You know, it's like, That's we want to be wanted, but then we don't, we don't want to go. Right. Yeah. And, and then the last thing you said that I loved was just to stay wild. And tell us about the play that you were in. Because when I say that reading this, Alexis, that's my freaking dream. Like to just see a poster for a play in LA. Like I could never do it here. They're like all freaking famous, but please tell us what inspired you to do that. And that story for those who didn't know. Yeah. It's one of those things where I think again, like the past two to three years where I've just been doing so much of like the real work that I ironically been avoiding my entire life and thinking that I was changing the world for girls because <laughs> I just didn't want to like change my own world. And it's a very good distraction and a place to hide behind when you think you're doing everything for everyone else. And anyway, so in the past two to three years where all I've been doing is like the real work of all the internal stuff. And I had been like preaching for a living, but like had never really been practicing it myself. And so really taking on the idea of like, what does self-care look like? What does slowing down look like? What is connecting my head and heart look like? What does 
really intentionally surrounding myself with like badass like-minded community? What does giving myself permission look like? It's like, I could get up on stage and talk about it, but it was really different to actually sit down and say, I want to figure out what this looks like for me. And one of the things that I realized was that my whole life, even though I was like for living them on stages and giving talks slash performances, but that when I was in fourth grade, this is what I talked about in the post. When I was in fourth grade, a kid named Kevin Funderburg, which we now call him Kevin Funderbutt. And he made fun of me in fourth grade because I stood up and I was going to audition for West Side Story. And right as I began to sing, and he, this poor kid, right? We're nine years old. Like he probably doesn't even remember this. We're in like Mr. Dunn's music class. And he starts laughing or whatever. And I get immediately mortified. And I like sit down and Mr. Dunn's like, oh, says, do you want to, you know, try again? And I was like, no, it's fine. No, I don't say, you know. So I sit back down, start crying. And that was the first and the last time that I ever auditioned for any play. Even though when I look back over the years, like I always had a passion to like act. And it's something that was completely unexplored because I just had this like traumatic event. And I think that there's like big T and little T, right? Yeah, this is little trauma. Like this is a little trauma, but it's still like we have to honor the paper cuts, right? Because those paper cuts end up becoming like the straight jackets by which we live our lives in. And so that tiny paper cut for me was enough to like create a level of unconscious shame that I never, ever pursued this thing that always interested me. And then I feel like as I got older, I was like, oh, I missed the window to like try acting. Like now it's weird in your thirties to be like, I think I want to maybe try to act like, and I think the more that we become an adult and the more our ego gets solidified and calcified in like, but I'm an activist and I'm an author and I'm like these serious things. The more that we define the story about what we tell ourselves, right? hundred percent. And so I, and I felt like I had this story of like, I'm a serious person who talks about serious issues. So like that doesn't fit in to this story and this construction I've created of myself. So like, and again, looking through the lens of like, what would people think? Like, what do people think if like the serious activist suddenly like is auditioning for a play or like, you know, is like decides that she wants to take acting classes, you know? And I was like, I don't want people to think I like am giving up my life to want to be an actor and realizing like what silly stories we tell ourselves, right? What like myths we tell ourselves that heaven forbid we are dynamic enough to be, you know, storytellers for a living and serious activists and stand-up comedians and mothers. And like, heaven forbid that we are these like dynamic, fascinating women. So long story short, I see a play was happening actually here in Bozeman And uh, my girlfriend texted it to me and was like, hey, they're doing open auditions. And I was like, why are you texting this to me? Like, I don't care. Like, I'm not an actor. And she was like, Jones, I've known you for like 15 years and you've like always wanted to act. So you should audition for this. And meanwhile, I was headed back to Texas to like speak, you know, for like 100,000 people at the women's rally. And that like didn't even change like my blood pressure whatsoever. I'm like, no, that I do for a living. But the idea of walking in in front of a director and her daughter, who was the choreographer for the play, I was like bawling in the car. I cried two times that morning before my audition. I was bawling in the car, waiting out front for like a small town community theater play (laughs) in Bozeman. This is iconic. I called one of my best friends and I'm like, I can't get out of the car. Like, I can't do it. I just, I can't. She was like, you have to do this for fourth grade Lex. Like you owe nine-year-old Alexis to walk in 
and audition and like give yourself an opportunity. And I was like, okay. So like I go in and I'm like blotchy faced and like my makeup's all over. And I was like, I'm sorry. It's been quite the morning. I do a Peter Pan monologue, which like, then I was sweating profusely through my shirt. She was like, okay, let's have you do it again. And I was like, oh God, can we just make this end? She had me do the monologue seven different times, which like borderline crying out of like massive anxiety. Then I get done. I walk out, get back in the car. And then I start bawling because I don't know in my entire life if I've ever been as proud of myself as I was for like walking in for a an audition. And then when I actually found out I got cast and like actually did the, that was like a whole nother level of like thought I was going to throw up before every single performance. It was some of the most fun I've ever had. I and like I think that. the idea that like we can do things for no other reason back to the permission. Like we can give ourselves permission to do things for no other reason than they bring us joy. We don't have to be good at them. We don't have to turn it into a living. We don't have to become a famous musician or actor. Like we can just do something because it's fun. And I think that that is something that children give themselves effortless permission for. And as adults, I think it comes, ironically, I think it becomes some of the bravest things that we do. It reminds me of a quote from, remember that comedy movie Tag? And it was like, you don't stop playing because you grow old. You grow old because you stop playing. Totally. Yeah, that exact thing. That, And I think that that's part of, you know, I'm 38, which just like weirdly feels old to me. That I'm like, I look in the mirror and I'm like, I don't feel like I'm like, I feel like I'm 17 all the time with my husband. I'm like, you feel like my boyfriend. Like it is weird <laughs> that we are married. And like, we've been together like 10 years. And he's like, well, maybe one of these days, like you'll actually just accept we are married. And I'm like, but it's so weird because like, I feel like we still live this like vivacious, like exciting, like anything feels possible kind of life. And I think it's for no other reason than like, we still choose to do the things like you said, like we've just refused to stop playing. I love it. And you, that post Alexis is the reason that I finally knocked on the door of some house in the neighborhood. I walk in and ask them if I could please jump on their trampoline that is in their front yard because no, yes, because I always walk past it and I'm like, I want to jump on a trampoline. And I've, I've never asked. And then when I saw that you did that play, I was like, screw it. And I knocked on the door and the guy answered and was like, he thought I was super weird, but said, knock yourself out. And so no I'm like way. this 25 year old bouncing on their trampoline. <laughs> that is amazing. So, see, this goes back to our point, right? You just being yourself and doing a play in Montana that inspired me in California without you even knowing it to jump on the trampoline for 10 minutes, you know? And that made me so happy. And it's like back to the whole like dreaming conversation, full circles, like passion and purpose. Like what if that's our only purpose? Like what if we take off all the weight that we've ever assumed with like passion and purpose, what, whatever we think that means. And what if it just means for you to go out and hunt the things that bring you joy. And in doing so, you give other people permission to do the same thing. Like, what if that's the only point is like just being you and the byproduct of just being who you are has the ability to inspire other people to be more of themselves. That makes me so happy that you did that. Yeah, it was that, fun. Like, that makes my whole week. 
it was, it was awesome. And yeah, I'm like, when I say I'm so inspired by you, I genuinely mean it. And this was truly wonderful. I definitely was nervous. I was like, I should have like really prepared that. I I knew that if I didn't, we would have had a a great conversation and we did. So (laughs) thank you so much, Alexis. You're amazing. I can't wait to just share your awesomeness with everyone who listens. So thank you. Thanks for giving us your time. I know you're busy and I'm so grateful. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week, seeing behind the scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real.